Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. You can't separate out the fact that you said your eggs are shriveled up and dead. And then guess what? I couldn't find a light in sensuality. Like, of course you couldn't, (laughs) right? I mean, of course you couldn't. You were setting the tone that it was gone. And so we just, in social psychology, there's a confirmation bias. We find what we think we're going to find. And so, and, and I just want to say, as far as it, when it, when you think about the brain, the part of our brain that can have abstract thinking that can think, okay, I have obviously felt sensuality before. I remember as a teen, I remember as in my twenties, I can remember that, but that hasn't been available to me lately because I've been going through this hard time. Welcome to Healthy Romantic Relationships, where we invite you to consider exactly what you need to know about yourself and your new partner. Learn about the foundational pillars and dynamics of healthy relationships and how to give and get the love you want. We speak with experts about communication, personality and attachment styles, sensuality and sexuality, and when to consider remarriage and perhaps a blended family. If you're yearning for a healthy, vibrant, romantic relationship post-divorce, we're here to support you. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Romantic Relationships. Today, we engage in a conversation around the titillating topic of sensuality, how to understand your relationship with it and reclaim your sensuality. Today, I have Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, who is back with me. She was with us once before in another series, and she helps us to understand the definition of sensuality and how it can get numbed out as a result of trauma or grief. We discuss whether another person is needed for you to feel sensuous and what happens to our sensuality and how to develop it if you have never felt sensuous before and so much more. A little bit about my guest before I introduce her, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen uh, received her PhD in clinical psychology from Boston University. She was the recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundation Research Award for her research on the emotional effects of 9-11. She's been featured on the Cameron Hall Show, Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Women's Health, Huffington Post, Thrive Global, Daily Beast, and Good 
housekeeping and contributes weekly to Psychology Today and hosts her own podcast, Divorce the Divorce Doctor. Finally, Dr. Cohen has published a book based on her uh, Afterglow program entitled The Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You. I am so excited to have you back with me. Welcome, Elizabeth. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love being here and I really like talking to your audience. Elizabeth, we've been talking about dating. We've been talking about healthy relationships. We've had some great relationship coaches on with, uh, you know, key do's and don'ts. And now we're getting into the steamier um, and exciting uh <laughs> topics of sensuality and sexuality. And I think it's really valuable that we start with sensuality. Uh, you and I had spoken offline previously, and there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot that um, can confuse us or, uh, or um, distance us from our sensuality. And, and because we're talking to a divorcing audience who may in many cases, not have uh, felt their sensuality for a while. I would love to uh, give them some some guidance in understanding what it is, uh, how to tap into it. Um, so why don't we just start with a definition? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say I love talking about sensuality. And for those of you who can see us on video, you might notice that Karen smiles and her cheeks get red every time she says sensuality, because that is what the word and the experience does to all of us. It's that shift from going from a place of kind of heady frontal lobe thinking. And when we say sensuality, you can just feel like your shoulders go down and we go back into our body. And so I love talking about it because it is a quick way of getting grounded back in ourselves. So that's why I love it. And I could see it on your face and I can feel it in my own body. So I love talking about sensuality. Um, I define sensuality as actually a sixth sense that we have. So we have um, the ability to smell and to hear and to touch and to taste. And we also have the ability to feel an experience of delight. And so for me, Sensuality is about basking in delight. And one thing that is really important for your audience to know is you might be listening and thinking, yeah, the last time I felt delight, you know, what was that 30 years ago? Like I hear it. I hear the voices. I hear the, you know, the, 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 the honest, um, sharing about how, how much delight has not been part of your life. And, it delight is, as I said before, an embodied experience of actually the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest, the relax part of your body and your nervous system. And for many of us who are going through a divorce, and let's remember before the divorce, the unhappy or unsatisfying marriage, we spent a lot of time in the other part of our nervous system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, the stress the hypervigilance, the um, fear, the worry, that is not a place where um, sensuality or embracing and relaxing can really take hold. And we know now that actually in the brain, when you are going through a traumatic, stressful event, 
your emotion, the emotional part of your brain is on overdrive. And the rational part of your brain that tells you, hey, baby girl, like maybe you need to sit and watch the birds or whatever might bring your nervous system down is offline. So we just go, 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 emotions, emotions, emotions. And so training yourself to be more comfortable with sensuality is just that. It's a practice of training. So I don't want anyone who's listening to think, oh my God, I'm never going to do this. I don't know how to do this. It's over for me. I hear that all the time. That's not true. It's just a practice. And we'll, we'll talk today about how to practice it. So, you know, so often when I'm speaking to clients and probably women more than men, there's this, this feeling like that part of me died. Mm-hmm. And, and that certainly was my feeling. Um, and when I got divorced was it had been so long and it's so interesting the way you just described that it'd been so long since I had felt any such delightful feelings. And I was very much in on the battlefield and in the stress and in the fighting. Um, how, um, how do you begin to tap back into it? Yeah, such a good question. And Karen, and I have that too with my clients who say that. And, you know, I think as a behavioral therapist, I always think of small bite-sized pieces. And so first, I just want to start with a affirmation for people, which is that even if you don't feel it, it's never gone away. It might be hibernating, but it's always been in you because it is your birthright to feel delight and sensuality. And so we're just going to give it a little bit more air, let it know that it doesn't have to hibernate anymore. But I just want people to know that it's never really gone away. You know? Um, yeah. So that concept that it died, like I used to say, my eggs are old and crusty and there's just not, there's no juices flowing. It's just like that, that, that part of me. And I was in my forties when I said that. And mm. now I can, I can chuckle at my younger self. Um, but, but I, I, I believed it. I believed it because if I tried to tap into it, I couldn't. And I think that you just said something before about different parts of the brain and why I couldn't tap into it. And can we just kind of revisit that a little bit right now? Like for those who are like, no, no, I've tried. It's, it's truly gone and dead. Of course. So the first part I want to say, Karen, is you can't separate you can't separate out the fact that you said your eggs are shriveled up and dead. And then guess what? I couldn't find delight and sensuality. Like, of course you couldn't. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, of course you couldn't. You were setting the tone that it was gone. And so we just in social psychology, there's a confirmation bias. We find what we think we're going to find. And so, and, and I just want to say, as far as it, when it, when you think about the brain, the part of our brain that can have abstract thinking that can think, okay, I have obviously felt sensuality before. I remember as a teen, I remember as in my twenties, I can remember that, but that hasn't been available to me lately because I've been going through this hard time, all of that, but maybe it will come back. That kind of flexible thinking happens in the front part of our brain. And when we are going through the trauma of divorce or any trauma, that part of our brain is really not firing very well. And so our ability to have, we see this all the time. That's what I think we as coaches and therapists do. We kind of are the frontal lobes for clients going through this. 
right? Like we help with the perspective. We say this too shall pass. This is a period of time. And so of course you thought it was gone. One, because you were telling yourself that. And two, because you couldn't access that more abstract flow-like thinking. Right. And so if somebody is still in the midst of divorce and they're listening to this, um, is there a practice for the person who's who's kind of supercharged on that emotional stuff um, and maybe not accessing the frontal lobe that much? Definitely. There's a bunch. Can I go through a number of the suggestions be- I have? Yeah. So we can go from, we're going to go from kind of, uh, not the none of the none of this is simple, but more direct to more abstract. So the first thing that I like to let people know is that very often people think that sensuality is about sex, and um, that's not at all where we start. If we end up there and people end up having orgasms, fantastic. That that's a great result, but that is not our goal. The goal is to feel and experience our heightened senses. And so I suggest usually with my clients, first things first, starting with touch. So to do very, very simple exercises, this is one of my favorites. You take your hand and you simply kind of practice touching your hand with one of your fingers. And you just notice what it feels like as you kind of trace your finger along your palm. And you notice that there's some parts that are a little more ticklish. There's some parts that are a little more sensitive and you just kind of notice that. And you, I notice while I'm doing this, that I get a little like, I don't know, I get a little chill down my neck. Like there's some connection between that and my neck and you're just registering and building up these new neural pathways. And then this is my favorite part, Karen, of this exercise. Then you switch the attention instead of feeling what it feels like to have the finger touching your hand, you switch. So you start noticing what it feels like for the hand to be touched by the finger or for the finger to be, you switch the focus wherever your focus was. Does that make sense? So you focus on the part that's receiving. Oh, so you, that's very interesting, right? So all of a sudden you're (laughs) paying attention to your fingertip now more then your exactly. palm and, and, and a moment ago, I was paying no attention to my fingertip. Exactly. And this is what we do this because this kind of mindful awareness of your senses is what helps that part of the brain start coming back online. So touch is one I love. Smell is another one I love because I am very sensitive to smells. I realize I really like citrus smells. So this can be actual food, or it can be aromatherapy. Um, It can be also incense, like just really noticing the smell of your hair, the smell of the air, just really taking that in. And another favorite one of mine is food. So we all have the tendency, you know, we're on our phone while we're eating, we're talking to someone, we're watching TV, you know, we're not paying attention to what's happening in front of us. And there is an example once that I saw someone do about asparagus. Like, you know, you just kind of, it's kind of long, but you kind of just shove it in your mouth or you cut it in half. And what would it be like to like, like imagine you were like, you know, Cleopatra being fed an asparagus and so slowly allowed yourself to really taste and feel the texture of that 
piece of food. And so it involves slowing down and really sensing into how your body is interacting with something around you. And I can just feel as we're talking about it, how it is so the antithesis of what happens when we're going through a divorce, where we're rushing and doing and not paying attention. Yeah, well, because it really invites a different mindfulness. Um, like as you're describing it, it, all mindfulness requires us to slow down and pay attention. And this one is slow down and pay attention to your senses. And I, I slow down and pay attention a lot, um, but I, I often eat while I'm working and yeah. I often do other things in a multitasking kind of way. And just the concept of, you know, what you're saying, it's like, gosh, you could, you could, you could in, engage in any of these touch, smell, taste. Um, and it brings mindfulness and it brings a slowing down and it connects us to the senses, the sensuality. I love that. It's so, I know, thank you. I think it's so beautiful too. And it also helps you know more about what you like. Eventually, when all of you, I know you many can't imagine this, but at some point you might want a person again to like touch your palm in that way. And now you know how you like it. Like you're registering all these experiences, your senses that you like, so you can communicate it to someone else. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah. And then a cognitive one tip that I want to share, Karen, is actually a big thing we do in cognitive behavioral therapy is really think about um, past experiences. So, I mean, the best thing about sensuality is like, I feel like being a teenager is like sensuality central. Like if you had seen, you know, I was thinking the other day, like I had like tiger beat of all these guys posted up on my wall. I'm sure you had posters of these, you know, heart throbs for, and what did it feel like to walk in or what did it feel like to open that magazine and see those people? Like there was a, you know, a turn on, I want to call it. And it's like, turn on the way you turn on the lights. It doesn't have to, again, even be sexual, but this excitement within you. And even if you haven't felt it in 30 years, I promise you, you did feel it once. And what was that like? Write it out. Sit with that. Fantasize about it. Because what you're then doing is you're teaching your nervous system that you have the capacity for that turn on or that excitement or that is your I love the word like tintillating like that longing for and I and so that's a really 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 great cognitive strategy for people to really step into a time where they felt that way yeah I, I love the concept of opening up opening up to your senses opening up to the memory of it in the past like and that you, I hear you saying that simply by opening you invited in, you, you, you fan the embers. Totally. So to speak. Well said, Karen. And you know, what's so cool about sensuality. It is a biological like um, part. It's, it's a biological need. So all you have to do is fan the flames just a little bit. I mean, it might be watching a TV show that you find kind of sexy. Like it could be that it could be reading something. It could be remembering something. I think I'm so glad you brought up the like, it's two things. It's like the intention that this matters, like that you matter and your sensuality matters and it's not gone. And then it's just doing a littlest blow on it 
and then it will go. I mean, it will go. I don't know about you, but I feel like so sensual. Like my, my senses are just like on fire talking about this. We have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. There are times, I think you had said something to me, which is, I know, related to the divorce stuff that that mm. when you're in fight, flight or freeze, you're, you're not accessing it. So so let's talk about that. And then I I I, I would really like to talk about um, a little bit about past trauma and grief, because I think those are two things that you had mentioned affect sensuality. And I think that our mm-hmm. audience is largely experiencing one, the other, or both. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so, so first yeah. that fight, fight, flight, or freeze. So, so when yeah. you're in that, um, is that a yeah. frontal lobe or is that back to the brain? And yeah, so the fight, flight, or freeze response. And now we know there's also a fawn response is how our bodies respond when something happens that's like coming at us too much or too fast. And a divorce is a perfect example of that. And so we might all notice ourselves sometimes fighting, sometimes avoiding and staying in bed, sometimes totally freezing and being stuck and having brain frog, and sometimes like giving too much to the other person. Like we've all done, at least I can say in my divorce, I did all of those things. Yes. And the nervous system, when they're in that stage, are in survival mode. They're not in thriving mode. They're not in resting, being in the world. They're in the sprint, not the marathon. Mm. And there's no room, you know, what I love about um, the biology of our species is that we have these amazing innate abilities to save our lives. So for example, I love the idea of flight because when we we run away, there's this miraculous thing that happens in our body, which is that the blood in our body, um, in our fingers, goes up to our heart. So our fingers, you sometimes, if you're feeling anxious, you might have like numbness in your fingers. And that was, we evolved to do that because if an animal had caught you and bitten your finger, because think about it, that's what's like flying around, you wouldn't bleed out. So it's a mechanism to keep us alive while we're in this fight, flight or freeze stage. So your body is literally only focusing on how to stay alive. It's not doing higher order mathematical equations. It's not even digesting. It's running and it's pumping blood and it's putting blood in the areas where we need. So it is not interested in 
what a beautiful flower. It is yes. not interested, right? It is not interested in, oh my gosh, I have to stop for a minute because I'm so turned on by this hurt. No, because you would get eaten. So you just can't do that when you're in fight, fight or freeze because you would be eaten. So all of you who might be listening to this and thinking, oh, I should have been doing this all along. You couldn't. Stop blaming yourself. You couldn't. Just know that. But you can cut, we can do these little practices even while you're going through the divorce. So you're in survival, you're in survival mode, but you can put these little practices in intentionally. Right. And, you know, uh, first thing when you wake up, before you go to bed at night, those opportunities to really dial down to begin with are great um, opportunities yes. to do that. So I love that. Love that. Let's talk a little bit about um, let's talk a little bit about grief first, because I think that's so intertwined in divorce as well. And then I'd like I would love to hear your thoughts on um, past trauma and how that might impact your ability to tap into your sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, grief is such a heavy, um, you know, real visceral feeling that um, many of us pull away from and don't really want to connect to. Um, it's messy. It has like all the feelings in it, anger, sadness, hopelessness. It has all of it. It's like surprises us. We don't really know how to be in relationship with it. Um, and I really think that it, um, kind of goes in all your cells. Like it just, it can kind of envelop you. Um, and I do think that sensuality is a beautiful kind of counterbalance to grief because grief is so much about loss, whereas sensuality is so much, I think about abundance, like internal abundance. And so it's true. Like you can't get back those years. You can't get back the relationship. You can't get back what you lost but you can spend this time connecting to what you actually have. And, and that, what would you say, um, because I think there's a lot of us who didn't connect sensuality with something that we would just um, experience on our own, like sensuality. Yes. Sensuality involves another person and you're saying it doesn't. And can you just maybe share a little bit of, What's the value of somebody who swims in their sensual pool? Oh, well, first of all, um, it, you can exude, you know, you just exude it, right? So even as you said, like someone who swims in their sensuality, you can just feel it, right? We're both smiling. There's this feeling of this person. It, it kind of radiates to another person and it, and we know that there are mirror neurons, meaning that if I feel something, you feel something in the same moment. So we're both kind of in this heightened state of connection. And one, we're flooded usually with the hormone oxytocin, which is also going to make us have um, more loving gestures to people. So if I'm turned on and in practicing sensuality and I get a text from my ex, I'm more likely to respond in a positive, loving, connected way because of what's happening for me internally. That's why it's incredibly important to do the work yourself. And then what I, what I hinted at earlier is when you are in a relationship, then you get to tell the person what turns you on. What do you like? What do you not like? What feels good? And ultimately, you are your own 
you are your own lover and best friend. I mean, at the end of the day, we can do whatever we can. Being in a relationship is a beautiful thing. I am in one. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's me who's going to take care of me. He is taking care of him and we can have a we, but I need to be able to take care of myself, including my sensuality. Yeah. And the thought of just the way you said that, it's like when you're vibrating at those higher energy levels, there's such a, you become so magnetic, right? So it's like, yes. you're feeling that, like you said, like we're both smiling. It's like you walk past someone, they're like, oh, what are you thinking about your smile? And you just made me smile. So there's, it seems exactly. like there's this, um, this, uh, this sharing that happens, not so much intentionally, but if you're delighted and titillated and you're yes. walking with that kind of strut yeah. and, and smiling and exuding that, then it's almost like you're yeah. sharing it with the world. Yes, exactly. It's contagious. And you have better experiences. If you, you just have better experiences when you show up in the world. I'm just thinking you show up on a date, let's say, in this kind of titillated way, as opposed to showing up on a date where you're like, oh my God, nothing's ever going to work out. I mean, th- we know that people pick up on our energy. Yeah. So, so why not uh, put out the best? Yeah. And I'm thinking about my morning experience. So my morning experience, I just recently moved back to Rockaway Park, New York, which is Mm -hmm. I live a a block from the Atlantic Ocean. And I have my son's St. Bernard, adorable, and my own boxer Rottweiler puppy. And so we walk on the boardwalk. And so in walking, you know, there's petting that goes on with the dogs. There is the sea breeze. There is the salt air. There is the sunshine. And then there are all of the characters who are passing me, who are rollerblading, bike riding, walking, holding hands, talking to themselves. And and so as you're describing what it's like to tap into it during my morning walk, I'm fully present and like so enjoying all of that. And so I think that there's a piece that was missing that I'm going to start practicing tomorrow morning. But it's like it's all there and it does feel really good. And I tend to smile a lot that whole time. And, nice. and then you watch who's smiling back. And then I was like, I should just smile at everyone and see if I can turn some frowns to smiles. And so all of that is actually connected into to, to that feeling delight and that sensuality, isn't it? Absolutely. And I would recommend, Karen, that when you go out tomorrow, if there's a sun, see if you can really feel what it feels like to have the sun soaking into your skin or really to smell the sea. You know, you can notice that usually what we do is we notice it and then we move on to something else. But again, slowing it down and really taking it in. And I, I, I promise, I mean, I know that from someone, as someone who grew up in New York City, that, um, smiling, engaging, feeling alive, changes your whole experience in a crowded urban place. It really, really does. And because even if someone is not matching you, you're still like, that's okay. I'm really turned on by what's happening in my senses. I love that. Beautiful. Trauma. Yeah. So sexual oh, trauma, talk, talk about. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to say that um, the tools that I'm talking about are assuming that you've had a generally trauma, violence, sexual violence, sexual trauma free life. 
And that if you have had sexual trauma um, or sexual violence, that that is really um, a deeply wounding experience for you, for your sense of self. And I think I'm glad you asked this question because I think it also shows just how um, important sensuality is because when it gets impacted in a abusive, violent, disrespectful way, it actually attacks who you are because your sensuality is who you are. And so there really needs to be work on building back up who you are. And, you know, I always recommend if people have experienced that to talk to somebody and to know a therapist, a um, coach, and really know that it will be very gentle as you step back in. And if you notice that there's any, any discomfort around connecting back to your sensuality, I just encourage you to be curious about it. And just be curious and, and don't push yourself and just say, what's going on for me and what do I need? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that um, sexual trauma can last a lifetime. And, uh, and you know, what's interesting is you talk to someone, so you go to therapy but what I like about, and what I like about what you described, it's like you, you can you can be in therapy and you can be testing these practices. You can be, because everything's a spectrum. And so it's like, maybe when you start, you can't find any delight, but once you start working things through and, and working on yourself and paying attention, you know, right? Like, so... I may have been traumatized by another human being, but if I'm a safe person yeah. and I'm willing to trust myself and to tap into that, um, then then it may be a slower build, but it, it I, but it's there. It's part of me. It's there. It's healthy. It's good. Right. Um, it's right. got a purpose. It's it's right. It's got a value. Right. Yeah. It makes me think about how we all have that light inside of us. And for some of us, it had been, it has been slowly dimmed. I think if you've been sexually assaulted, it's like someone just like smashed the bulb, but the light has always been in there. And so you're, you're in there. And, and I would just say, we want to see you and the world, in my opinion, needs more turned on sensual people. If we were that way, well, the way you are walking in on, in, on the boardwalk and how I feel walking around, we would be able to be in together more. If you imagine walking in, I mean, imagine doing one of these sensuality exercises before a really hard meeting. I very often, we haven't talked about masturbation, but I very often ass assign to my clients when they're having a really hard meeting to masturbate before and have an orgasm because sensuality, again, it leads on, brings on the oxytocin and it makes you in a much more relaxed space, but you don't have to have an orgasm. You can also just do some of these fun practices, but if wow. you're feeling brave, if you're, if you're feeling brave, go try it out. Yeah. So, so the last question I want to ask you is kind of connecting the dots to our other episodes. So this is all about healthy romantic relationships after having a relationship that ended um, in divorce. And so what uh, 
Any do's and don'ts uh, just in terms of sensuality when entering and now I'm asking in partnership, right? So sensuality yeah. when entering a new relationship, any suggestions, you're just meeting this person, you know, our series is about, okay, I've dated him or her a couple of times and now we're, we're going to be an item. We're going to commit mm-hmm. to being in relationship. Any yeah. tips, suggestions around sensuality in that phase? Totally. I think the biggest myth or the biggest mistake I have to deal with all the time in my practice is that two, two, one is that, that fantasy is not okay. Like if you get turned down by fantasy, either sexually or with yourself or, and it's not the person you're with, it doesn't matter. Like kink fantasy, those are fantasies. Those are not about how you feel about the person. So if you get turned on when you're with this person, sexually or sensually, thinking about an ex person, I mean, I have this in my clients, like with an ex, but you don't want to be with the ex. You want to be with this person. That's just a fantasy. People get really like confused about this, but fantasies are simply fantasies. So that's the first part. The second is please communicate. You are not helping anyone if you don't tell people what you like, what you don't like, what scares you, um, what excites you. Um, and, and just know that the other person is just as nervous about communicating as you are, but you can be the brave one and start it. Yeah. It's, it's for so many of us, it's just like awkward. I, I always talk about how it's, it's easier to kind of take your clothes off and get naked than, than have the conversation, the vulnerable conversation, which is a, an emotionally naked conversation. And so, exactly. right. Right. So exactly. Like a, and I, I think physically naked, emotionally yeah. naked, eh, not so much. Exactly. And some people can't even get like physically naked in the light, which is like having the conversation in the light, which means like not when you've been drinking or not when you, you know, you're stoned. I think one of the things also is remember that in your marriage, I think I wanted to make, you know, it's very, very likely that if your marriage struggled and you ended up choosing or um, accepting a divorce, that there was something in your marriage and your sensuality and sexuality that didn't go the way you wanted it to. And so I think it's really important. I'm sure your other um, guests have said this. I think it's incredibly important for you to not bring that into this new relationship. This is a new person. This is a new body. This is a new experience. You are not dead. This person is willing and open and they are not your ex. And I think that kind of over connection is, is really important to separate out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think every guest has talked about the vital importance of communication, no matter what the topic has been. And, and I think when it comes to sensuality and sexuality, all the more important. And when you've, you know, I was raised in a household where you might, my, my grandmother went to church seven days a week and whatever happened in my mom's household, boy, like you couldn't even talk about getting your period. Like my mom was really, you know, Mm. really shut down about talking about any of that. And so that's what we grew up with. We grew up with sex is bad. Talking about sex is bad. Feeling good is bad. Like it was just like this whole, like, you know, cloaked area. And so, um, you know, so many of our listeners are middle-aged, but if that's, if that's the, the belief system or the culture that they grew up in, then, then talking about, 
what makes you feel good is feels very awkward. Oh yeah. And especially for women, um, we're not supposed, first of all, for women, it's like, we're not supposed to feel pleasure just for pleasure. And men are, are supposed to be like pleasure seekers and that's all they care about. And they're not allowed to have any emotion. It's like, that is such a you know, toxic mentality. And so we are breaking, I think we are breaking, you know, in ancestral lines of shame and secrecy mm. around sensuality. And mm. if you feel uncomfortable after listening to this, like that makes sense. We're breaking generations old secrecy and shame around this. Yeah. Wow. So good. Any last um, comments before we wrap up and say goodbye to our listeners? I guess I want to encourage everyone to be brave. Do one thing every day that turns you on that you didn't think you could do. And practice, practice, practice. This is a lifelong practice. It's not something that you do and then it's finished and you're, it's a practice. And so just know you're not alone. And the more turned on we all are, the better we will all be. We will all be. Yes. Mm -hmm. How can our listeners find you if they'd like to uh, have a conversation or hire you? Yeah, you can go to my website, drelizabethcohen.com. That's drelizabethcohen.com. And you can check out my podcast and my practice. And I'd love to hear from anyone. Thanks so much for having me. I love talking to your group. Yeah. And and uh, Elizabeth's podcast is great because she interviews women, uh, many of who are out there now changing the world one person at a time, but interviews such a wide variety of women who have gone through divorce and the impact that they've had that's had on their lives. Is that, is that a good description? Perfect. And I was honored enough to have Karen and it was, it's so wonderful to hear how people have gone through it and thrived through it. And it's really, I created it because I wanted, you know, when I first got divorced, I just heard the bad stories. I wanted to hear the stories of moving through. So um, yeah, it's really an honor to be able to do that. Yeah. So the divorce doctor podcast, check it yeah. out. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. I so appreciate it. It's lovely to see you as always. Thank you so much for having me. And we will be back again real soon with another episode of Healthy, Healthy Romantic Relationships. Until then, you guys have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women throughout one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.